Good morning and welcome to another Haven Campus Church Online. For those who are joining us for the first time and for those who have been with us through the entire lockdown, we want to say welcome and we pray that God blesses you today, that He speaks to you. I want to start today's sermon in the book of Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 and we are going to be journeying through the story of the faithful centurion. We are continuing our series on Restore the Healing Miracles of Jesus. And today we're going to continue that in the story of the faithful centurion. So before I do so, let's have a word of prayer and we will start today's talk. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time that we get to open up your word. We get to hear what you have to say to us. And Lord, we once again ask for you to speak, for you to move. May you be seen, may you be glorified, and may we draw closer to you in this time. God, us now, Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We read in Matthew chapter 8, we find this, this story also in the book of Luke chapter 7. But we're going to be focusing in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, and it reads this. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve that you to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell, this, I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And we read in verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done, just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. I want to actually go into a statement made by the chair of, John, of Lifeline, John Brogdon. And it was a statement he made at the end of August. And it reads this. For the second time in a week... Lifeline Australia has smashed the record calls received in a day, with vulnerable Australians reaching 3,505 times Thursday. The new milestone means that the four busiest days in Lifeline's 57-year history have all occurred this month. Lifeline is on track for the busiest year ever, with 694,400 calls made for help this year to date. The incredible number of Australians reaching out is a reminder that this is a physical and mental health pandemic. The good news is that people who need support are reaching out. While Monday was our busiest day on record, it wasn't a one-off. It's been a difficult few years for everyone in the community, but this, is all, but this also means that Australians know help is there when they need We've seen the demand grow 20% since 2019, and it continues to ramp up. Six of Lifeline's 10 busiest days on record 
have occurred just this month. Lifeline volunteers have been working harder than ever since 2019 to support people at risk and they need support to continue operating at this pace. We need the community to support our volunteers who are working harder than ever. These are challenging times. It is okay not to be feeling okay. And we wanna take this time to reach out to anyone who may be struggling or you may, be, you may know someone who is struggling. Please reach out in this time. There is no weakness in reaching out. In fact, it takes an incredible amount of strength and courage to do so. So please reach out. In the passage, this centurion shows an incredible amount of care, compassion, and love to his servants. He shows an incredible amount of care, love, and compassion. Something that was very unfamiliar in that time, especially to servants. Because in that time, servants were very much seen as an object, as a tool, parallel with that of livestock. In fact, the only difference between livestock and a servant was that a servant could speak. Servants were only objects. Aristotle goes in saying this, he goes in writing, there can be no friendship nor justice towards inanimate things. Indeed, not, indeed, not even towards a horse or an ox, nor yet towards a slave as a slave. For masters and slaves have nothing in common. A slave is a living tool. <laughs> a slave is a living tool. There was very little care shown and given to servants. But this centurion decided the other and decided to act against the grain what was the culture back then. He decided to show love and compassion to those within his household. Because it reads in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those who do not show compassion for relatives and those especially within his households are seen as worse than those that do not have a faith, who are unbelievers. It is critical. It is so important, especially as where we read the statistics just earlier, that we are reaching out to those within our households those within our circles. Our first priority is always to those directly in connection with us. That is our first responsibility. I remember my first year of ministry. I started off as a volunteer pastor working at Church in the Fields, MacArthur Adventist College and Hurstfield Primary School. In that first year, Krissa was still studying and living at Avondale College. 
So you could say that my first year of ministry, I was very much like a single pastor. Me and Krista didn't really spend that much time together because we were so distant in, 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 in space. She spent a lot of the weekends with her family because she wanted to spend as much time with her grandparents as well as her uncle who wasn't that well. And I obviously stayed where I was in, in um, MacArthur as well as Hertzville and, and, and um, Church in the Fields Monday to Friday and including Saturday being a pastor. I spent a lot of my energy and time dedicated to my ministry because I didn't have a family to go back to. I didn't have a wife or kids to go back to. And being me, I don't like to be idle for too long. I always like to be involved. I always like to be practical and getting my hands dirty, doing the work. So because Crystal was a, a long way away, I spent a lot of my energy and a lot of my time in my work, in the ministry. I'd wake up early in the morning and I would start my day at 6.30, head over to MacArthur, head over to Hertzfield, wear my chaplaincy hats. And in the evenings, I put my pastoral hat on and do my visitation and do my Bible studies. So it was very much a 6, 6.30 start and I would normally get home around 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And that didn't bother me because, like I said, I didn't have, a, 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 have kids or a, or a wife to go back home to. I love being active. I don't like being idle. I don't like being still for too long. In fact, I think it was around five years ago where I took two weeks off on annual leave and Crystal wasn't able to do so. And um, I thought to myself, man, this is going to be the best two weeks ever. I'm going to really, really, really just focus on playing PlayStation. All my family was still working at the time and obviously Crystal was working. So I was very much on my own and I thought to myself, I'm just going to play that PlayStation. I'm going to watch all the movies for an entire two weeks. <laughs> that lasted three days. I couldn't sit still for too long. Three, three days of playing PlayStation and watching movies, I went crazy. And I remember when Crystal would come home, I would grab her. She was tired after work. I said, Bob. We're going out. We're going to dinner. We're going for a walk. We're doing something because I can't sit still for too long. I've been here in this, in this cage for way too long. I cannot be idle. I need to be active. So that was me for my entire first year of ministry. In my second year of ministry, we got married. And I remember it, it, early in our marriage, Krista sat me down and she looked, and she, was very she had that very concerned look on her face. And she said to me, Ian, how are you going to juggle ministry, marriage, and in the future, kids? How, you, how are you going to juggle all these things? This was very concerning to her. Me being, being born and raised in the church, I've seen it too often where the PK kids, the pastor kids, were the ones that were often very much broken, where mom and dad were in the ministry fields, going about doing the ministry, and sometimes would neglect the ministry at home. I've seen it too often, and I could see that this was concerning to Krista. And I remember looking at her and promising her right there and then that my ministry to my family would always be a priority. My ministry to my family was always first. I made that promise to her right there and then, and I've to this day, I am very much unapologetic to, this, to my ministry, to my family. They always and will always come first. And here we read in the passage 
of the centurion who went above and beyond. He could have sent his, another servant to go and, 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 and reach out to Jesus. But no, he took it on his own responsibility to go out and seek Jesus out. He took it on his own responsibility to make sure that everyone is in his household, everyone in his immediate responsibility was being looked after. Our first priority is always those within our immediate circles. So church, I want to take this time to remind you as it has remind, as I've reminded myself to be kind, to be patient, to be loving, especially to those within our families, within our household. And we have read the statistics. We have read the data. Make sure we're reaching out to those immediately close to us. Our first priority is always to those in our immediate circles. The passage continues in stating in verse 7, Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? But the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to come under my roof, but just say the word. I don't need you to come to my place, Rabbi. I don't need you to come to my house, Lord. Just say the word. And I know it will be so. There is power in your words. There is power in your words. Just say the words and it will be. There is power in your words. With your very words, you have the ability to, to brighten someone's day. With your very words, you have the ability to uplift someone's spirits. I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched the, the movie Braveheart and replayed the famous scene where he gives his his rally cry to the troops. I've played it time and time again, that famous scene where he stands in front of the army and he cries out, what would you give for one chance? One chance to stand before your enemy and, and cry out, though you may take our lives, you can never take our freedom. These words have ability to rally us, to uplift us, to encourage us. Your words are powerful. But at the same time, words can be damaging. Words can cause pain. The book of Proverbs chapter 15 verse 4 says this, Gentle words bring life and health, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirits. By just your words, the centurion replied to Christ. Words are powerful, especially when they are in connection to a loving God and a powerful savior. Words are powerful. When we 
use our words to bring those we care, to bring those we love, to bring those we are concerned for before God. These are powerful. Pastor Glenn Townend spoke to us a month or so ago about the, the power of intercessory prayer. When we pray for those we care for, when we pray for those we love, there is power. And church, I'm telling you now, I've seen firsthand the power of prayer. I've seen firsthand when God chooses to step in because His people have been praying. I call this the faith passport. That though in a time where we are restricted in our ability to be with one another in person, do not underestimate the power when we pray for those we care. Even though we can't be in connection with them face to face, do not underestimate when we uplift them in prayer. When God hears our prayer, there is no distance, there is no time, there is no space, there is no restriction, there is no limitation, there is no obstacle or challenge that can, they can get in His way. There is power in prayer when we uplift those we care for, especially in the space and time we find ourselves today. Church, I encourage you to continue to first and foremost lift your families in prayer. Lift those in your immediate circles in prayer. Then continue to pray for our church as well as our community at large. And I promise you, when we do so, there is power there. And we will firsthand see God at work. So let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this time, this opportunity that we get to seek you in the word. We get to explore you in your scripture and we get to discover the power there is in prayer. Their power of uplifting those we care for, like the centurion uplifted his, his servants. And at that moment, the Bible says that at the moment he was in conversation with, with, with your son, his servant was healed. There is power when we use our words to uplift those we care for. So Lord, I uplift our community. I uplift our church. I uplift anyone that may be struggling in this time. Speak words of love and affirmation to them. And may they know that they are not alone and they, they are loved by you. So God, speak, move, and we thank you for who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.